You want to pray for our time in the Word? Father God, your word declare that taste and see that the Lord is good. Yes, Lord. Lord, I, I just want to pray, I want to read from Psalm 103 where you say, My soul, bless the Lord and all that is within me. Mm-hmm. Bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in faithful love. Lord Jesus, you are so holy. God, you are so good, Father God. And your love endure forever, God. Yes. Lord, it's your desire, Lord Jesus, that no one should perish, but that we will have everlasting life with you, mm-hmm. Lord Jesus. It's your desire, God, that we will come to know you as the Lord and Savior. It's your desire, Father God, that we will turn from evil they will do good, Father God. Yes, Lord. You to set us free from sin and death, Father God. That's the reason why you send your son, Jesus, to, to, to uh, let us know how much you love us, Father God. And so, Lord, right now, we come together, Lord Jesus. We are uh, in a time where there are so much uncertainty. Uh, we don't know what the future will hold, Father God. But we know who holds the future, Father God. It is you, our Lord Jesus Christ, Father. So, Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we will trust you, that we will truly walk with you day and night, Father God, and night and day, Father God, that we truly believe with all our heart, mind, and soul that you are God and that you are coming soon, Father God. So, Lord, prepare us. Prepare us as a good soldier, God, so we can fight back the strategy of the enemy, because we know that this battle is not against flesh and blood, Father God, but it's against the principalities of the rulers and the, and the, and the spiritual forces of evil, Father God, that they are contagious against us, Father God, all the greatest issue that is in us, the heat that is in this world, Father God. You have given us everything that we need to live a godly life, Father God, so help us to walk habitually with you, Father God, that we will not gratify the desire of the flesh, Father God, Lord Jesus. So this time together, Father, we come to celebrate, to, to, to proclaim the goodness of our Lord Jesus. And, and you are so merciful and so gracious and so good to us, Father God. And we are so thankful, Father God, that in this household we say that we will serve the Lord, Father yes, God. Yes. No matter what comes our way, no matter what uh, trial we will face every yes. day, Father God. No matter what who, who will be the president of the United States, no matter what happened in this earth, Father God, we know that you are God and that you are for us and not against us, Father God. So help us to worship you in spirit and truth, no matter what comes our way, Father God, that we will be strong and courageous and that we will be faithful to the King of King and Lord of Lord, Father God. So help us to be still and know that you are God and that you are good, Father. So we give this time to you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this time will be a beautiful aroma to your natural, Father God, that you will be pleased with us, Father God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be attentive to the living of the Holy Spirit, that whatever you speak to us today, Father God, if it's anything in us that is not belong to you, Father God, that we will lay it out the feet of the cross, Father God, and that we will repent and turn, continue walking with you habitually, Father God. So we thank you. We glorify your name in Jesus' name. Amen.
for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you, Father, that our hope in you will never disappoint us. No matter how chaotic the world may get, no matter what we may individually or collectively may be facing or is ahead of us, we thank you, Father, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We thank you, Father, that you have already won the battle. You are victorious over sin and death. That which plagues mankind, you have already defeated the greatest enemy. And so for that, God, we praise you, we thank you. And oh, how I pray that each of us, Lord, Father, have the assurance that we have been adopted into your family. That we have been given the right to call you Abba, to call you Daddy. That we belong to you. Oh, how I pray, God, that we have that assurance. That we just don't hold a form of religion. We may know your name, but Father, our lives deny your fame. We live for ourselves, yet have a false sense of hope that we are yours. Father, we know your word is truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. And oh, how we need truth in these days. May we be a people of truth, of hope, of love, and of peace, and of joy. For we serve a great God, a holy God, the only God. We know, Father, that there is no error found in you. Father, open our eyes and our ears today that as we open up your word, Father, the Holy Spirit, you would bring forth what is needed in each of our lives, God, to make us even more like your Son. That we would reflect your image to a desperate world that needs to see Jesus. So, Father, have your way among us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Morning. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And I can't believe we're almost at the end of the year. And this is a verse that has been held before us all year long. And God, how I hope it has challenged you individually each and every single day to give thought to the scripture that you are not living a life that's mocking the justice of God, but that you understand who God is, who we are, and how we are called to live in obedience to his leading. Remember, scripture tells us that we are to walk habitually, 
continually in the Spirit so we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're not to live according to our flesh. We are now born again, if we are in Christ, to live in the Spirit. We have received a new nature. No longer clinging to and holding to that which used to define us, that which used to arouse us. But no, stripping everything off and accepting that all things are being made new because we understand from His Word that how does He transform us? By changing the way we think, by renewing our minds. Are your minds being renewed daily? I keep asking us, are you giving thought to what are you putting your hands towards? Are you giving thought to where you're allowing your feet to lead you? Are you giving thought to what you're allowing your eyes to be fixed upon? Are you giving thought to the decisions that you are making because you ought to give thought before you act, before you speak, and before you allow the thoughts to entertain you? We are told in God's Word that we are to take every thought captive that is contrary to the truth of God's Word and to bring them into His obedience, into His Lordship, because that's how we live. And that's why daily discipline in prayer and worship and devotion in His Word will grow you and will mature you as a believer. As you know the truth, it's going to set you free. As you meditate and you give thought to the new way of life, as you look intently in the mirror to see who you are now, in Christ, sealed, adopted by God into His family, given everything you need to live a godly life in a perverted, crooked world... Called to go forth to bear light, to bear His image. Do we understand the responsibility that has been laid upon us? And we understand that if we do understand, that it's not in our own strength. That this new life, this Christian life, is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Like we are not trying to fulfill what God has already accomplished by our own strength. No, we trust in the fact that God is faithful to complete that which He has begun in us. He's begun this. He's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He has extended His grace and His mercy unto you. So we should not be a people that is spitting in His face, that is stiff-arming Him and say, No, you can't have this part of my life. No, 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 this is more pleasurable to me than you. Like, we're not to be that type of people who have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Because that's not what pleases God. No, we are to be a people that are in Christ. That is your position. So you give thought before you say, before you act, before you actually think. Should I be thinking these thoughts? Does it line up with truth that defines me now? Should I allow my feet to go there? Because 
Is that honoring God? Is that pleasing to God? Am I just going to get caught up and look like the lost and not bear His image? Or am I understanding that I am sealed until the day of redemption, that I have God Himself by the via the Holy Spirit in me to live right, to do right, to speak right, that I'm not going to allow myself to go. No, I can withdraw. <laughs> Am I going to be mindful of that which I'm allowing out of my mouth? I know that I can't control my tongue, but the Holy Spirit within me can give me what I need to control and to tame my tongue. Am I honoring God? Are you honoring God? Are you honoring God? Like we've got to be very careful that we don't treat Christ so flippantly. We don't treasure His Word because we don't see the value in it. And how sad is that? Because this is the living word of God. This is what, and we've said this over and over, and you can look yourself throughout history. This book is what every darkened soul, government, institution has been trying to rip out of the hands of people, common folk. Because this threatens everything that they stand for. The enemy. The Bible says even the demons know it. And they tremble at it. So we are his people. Called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That we are to live differently. That we are to act differently. And I shared with you last week, the greatest weapon that we have in our arsenal... Is love. Not the way the world defines love, but love. Love. Love wins. Look to Christ. No greater love than this that a man will lay down his life for his friends. Love that holds up a standard of righteousness and doesn't give in to wickedness. Love, a sure foundation that is set and is secure. Love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It holds no records of wrong. Love never fails. And why do you think the world, your flesh, and the enemy perverts love? Why do you think over the centuries and the times that have passed and the time that is present and the times to come, that love will continue to be weakened and cheapened because as long as we can deceive people into seeing that love is nothing, then what are we doing? Oh, the church must awaken to what she has been given. Jesus is our example. Love. 
He came knowing good and well that he would be rejected, that he would be despised, that he would be hated by the very own, the very own people that he created. His creation hated him. And yet he knew. And yet he came. He came. And he willingly laid his life down. He willingly went out to the lost, to the broken. He held up truth. He served them. He cared for them. He didn't just go along with them. And like we've said, we've confronted the lie of the, of the centuries. <laughs> well, Jesus hung out with sinners as if he hung out with them, approving of what they were doing. No. He hung out with them because he knew that they needed truth. They needed to be loved. <laughs> See, when you're loved by Christ, you will not settle for the, the, the false love that's out there. Like, when you know that you are secure in Christ, when you know the healing and the restoration and the hope that you have in Christ, you're not going to trade it for the worthless things of this world. They can't even compare or measure up to Christ. Jesus, you all, He's God. And yet he came. And it was so worth it, even if it was only one who received it. Amen. See, he knows the hearts of men. Not everyone is coming to Jesus. How did he confront the Pharisees with love? With truth and judgment. Truth and judgment. He held them accountable. He exposed their worthless deeds. He stripped them bare in front of their followers. He didn't play nice with them because he knew who they were. They were children of the devil. And yet again, these were the religious people of his day. And as it is today, as it was then, as it will continue to be until he returns... The religious will continue to be exposed. Do not be moved by those who can quote scriptures. Do not be moved by those who can pray long prayers. Do not be moved by those who can prophesy and, and gather a crowd. <laughs> if their life doesn't produce fruit, that is true. Are you bearing fruit, lasting fruit, not fruit that just pops up in a season and wilts away because life gets hard for them? Lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. Life that is maturing and growing. Jesus knew who his enemies were, and he reached out to them in love by exposing them. So be careful of what you're hearing out there today. This weird warped gospel that is not true. 
We're all just going to go into heaven. We're all just marching into heaven singing Kumbaya. Can't we all just gather together and be one? Jesus does pray for unity. But the unity that he prays for is the unity of the church. The world and the lost and the religious will never unify, be unified, unified with the bride of Christ. There will never be any unity with the bride and the whore. There won't be any unity. There won't be any agreement. <laughs> there won't be. There is a line drawn. You are either in him or you are against him. And we understand that as the days are getting darker, we don't, we're not to get scared. We're not to be fearful. That should even ignite even more hope within us because we know that everything that he has said is coming to pass. And we know as it's getting darker, his, his return is closer and closer. And this is the hope that we have. Not to go after the world, not to berate people, not to carry on like fools, but to go and to serve and to love and uphold truth. Even though they're going to reject us, even though they're going to hate us, even though they're going to persecute us, even though they may kill us. We go. Because we know we were once like them. And the only difference is Jesus. It was his love that captivated us. It was his love that drew us to himself. It was his love that has set us free. And we have the hope in Christ to share with others that the justice of God will not be mocked. That we will harvest what we plant. And so we're not to be misled about this. We're to hold true to his words. Not to our interpretation of it, but to His words. His truth. He defines us. And we as a nation are in a crossroad. Or at a crossroad. We as a nation have been through hell and back over the centuries. <laughs> over the time that we've been around, I should say. As a nation. We're not a perfect nation. But the hand of God has been upon this nation. We have been a nation that has inspired hope throughout the earth. And we as a nation, if you look at all the others that are on this earth, we are the last nation of hope to the world. And you say, well, that's kind of prideful, don't you think? And so then I would ask you, well, look. Where's everyone else flocking to, to get to? If you listen to people who've come to our country from other countries, and you hear their testimonies, you can hear their stories of how passionate they were, and why they had to reach the shores of America, and the hope that inspired them and their families to flee their countries. Just to come here, the opportunities that, that are, are given to people, the hope that this nation sends forth throughout the earth. 
is dwindling away. Is dwindling away. Isn't it odd that we have a movement now, it's been here for many years, but it's a movement now that has come out of the dark. (laughs) It's exposing itself and what they believe. It's a godless movement. There is nothing honoring of Christ in this movement. There's nothing, no matter how they want to spin it. And and the reality is they're not even trying to spin it anymore. They're telling us what their agenda is. It's godless. And yet the leaders who are embracing it, they're confused on how to spin it. They try to tie in Scripture with that which is a lie. They're smooth talking. And yet it's right before our eyes. And the masses are falling prey to it. And the bottom line, they want to destroy the foundations of hope and make this nation look like the others. And I've been sharing this with us for many months now. Once hope is removed, the oppression and the darkness that's going to cover this earth is going to be like anything unlike anything we've ever seen. And we know as believers, if we have studied biblical prophecies, that has to happen. I said last week, if you didn't listen to the message last week, go back and listen to it. I said last week, the enemy's hand has to be played. One way or another, it's all coming to pass. It's all coming to pass. The enemy's hand has to be played. And so we as the church, we don't cower down in fear. No, when we see it being played, we better gear up. (laughs) We better put on the armor if we're not already in the habit of putting it on. And we better realize quickly that you are behind enemy lines. And just as they will devour each other, they are coming for you. And you say, well, that's a little bit extreme. Then open up your eyes and see What's already happening to churches in America? Have you not taken a look? They're closed down in a lot of states. They can't gather. They can't open. They're limited on what they can do. They are deemed non-essential. But the strip clubs, the bars... The abortion clinics, all these other places that nothing but bring forth darkness are swung wide open. Riots, or what they deem peaceful protest, is allowed. When others have gathered for hope, they've been told that they are the the super spreaders of the virus. But those who gather to to celebrate deception and lies, they're left alone. Oh, we better open our eyes and see what is happening to our nation. And as I said last week, 
It doesn't, it's not about Donald Trump. It's not about Joe Biden. It's about good and evil. It's about good and evil. Donald Trump is not perfect. Joe Biden isn't perfect. Whoever comes out as the president, God have, would have already established it and planned it. And you say, well, didn't they already acknowledge that Joe Biden was president? No. The media has. The media has. His campaign has. Millions of people in our nation have. People from around the world have. But oh, how we should take the advice of the president of Mexico who said he cannot and will not congratulate anyone until it's firmly set, not predicted, but established who the president is. The same media who is out there promoting this hysteria, oh, how they should use wisdom. And oh, how the the Biden camp should use wisdom and say, wait a minute, right now, declaring this is unconstitutional. The media doesn't have the right to declare who the president is. The voters do. And if there's any fraud taking place, it does need to go to the courts, and the courts have to review it, and the courts have to give its judgment. And whatever is judged at that time, that is what sticks. And then the president will be elected, whichever one it is. But all I will encourage us is to be mindful of the plot to take out our nation. We know it has to come at some point or another. But could you believe you're living in the day and age where it's right at the door? And you say, but Rob, that's extreme. I say, then open your eyes and listen. When you hear Chuck Schumer from New York, when you hear them say, because right now the only hope, if Donald is removed, the only hope that we have to hold any type of, of, of standard is the Senate. Because if the Senate is held conservative, then we will still have a check and balance. And how gracious will God be to, to extend his mercy there? But have you not listened over the last couple of days? They're after the Senate races. And if their plan succeeds and they steal those races, and now you have every part of our government liberated to liberal to, to BLM to liberal liberal liberalism something like that when you see all of this transpire hope hope of a nation that can offer hope to others diminishes but oh that's good news for the church and you say how is that good news for the church 
Because we still maintain the only hope that can't be taken from this earth. That's why I keep telling you over the years, just because the world's getting darker, no, 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 what's the good news is in that? The church is still here. The church is still here. The hope that the church has is not in a nation. It's not in government. Ultimately, the church hope is in the kingdom of God with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We're about kingdom justice. We're we're serving the king and honoring the king. This is the hope that we have. And so the media has played its hand. It's a wicked institution. It's played its hand. Even the conservative media, it's played its hand. Look at what's dictating all of this. See behind the scenes. It's played its hands. Because if the courts come back and judge, and they found that all these dead people who have been voting, all of these millions of ballots that are showed up at 4 o'clock in the morning with only the president race checked, and nothing else is checked, and all of them are for Biden. I mean, they're going, there's people going through, and there's, I was reading to Gilda last night, there are people who voted that lived back in the 1800s. There are dead people who have voted multiple times. You're hearing about all the software glitches now. And how the software glitched and flipped all these votes over. All of this has to be proven. A a judge and courts have to look at all of this. And ultimately what they decide stands. But I'm telling you, if it comes back 30 days from now, or longer that all of this was rigged and the judge and the judges find that Donald Trump is the elected president do we understand the chaos that is going to hit this nation they know it they've planned it and if they lose it it's going to infiltrate just Chaos. Are you grounded in Christ? Are you grounded in Christ? You see, this is the only hope we have. It's Christ. And so when I'm looking on social media, and I'm looking at different things, and I'm talking to different people, Christians, and I see that they're deceived, that they don't understand the kingdom of God, they just have a form of religion and deny the power of God, I go, oh God. When I see Christians attacking the, the church, when I see them lining up, holding hands with the enemy, I go, ooh, we're in for it. As the church, there is a great divide happening in the church, y'all. I don't know if you noticed it, It's not just among the lost. 
and the church. It's the loss and the church and the church against the, the church, the religious ones. Oh, we have to wake up. We have to wake up. And that's why I wanted to get these scriptures back before us. Not all of them, but only a few of them that I've been placing in front of us on unbelief. Because deception is running amok. Deception is running amok. I've been telling us that for years. The spirit of deception, it's increasing at a greater level. And it has to continue to increase. Because you understand there's going to come a day when the Antichrist steps out. He's going to be able to perform miraculous signs. And people are going to flock to him. Do you understand how dark it is getting? And yet we, as the church, aren't getting any brighter. Not all of us, but unfortunately the masses. Because they're remaining ignorant to God's truth. They're taking pleasure in the filth of this world. Well, nothing's wrong with it. Did God really say they're enslaved by Satan? They're trapped like Eve was trapped. No, if it's not honoring to God, what are you doing? And don't take it lightly. Your unbelief, if that's what you're enslaved to, is not all right with God. Lest your excuses, God understands. You see, sin is not pleasing to God. If sin was okay with God, Jesus shouldn't have come. Do you understand the payment that was paid for you? Do you understand that you are not to continue to allow sin to master you? If it does, the Bible says you're not a Christian. You say, but I sin. Well, listen, it's not that you're not going to sin. It's just that it doesn't master you. It's when you sin, you go, oh, you, you feel like, oh, something's not right. Like, why am I doing this? Like, oh, God, forgive me. You know, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You grieve. You realize I've given myself to the very thing that is meant for my destruction. And I've turned back to rebellion. Oh, I'm not a child of wrath any longer. I'm a child of God. What am I doing here? God, help me. God, forgive me. And you get up and you move forward. You keep growing. You keep acknowledging Christ. Do you understand the commitment that has been made when you became a believer, you are to believe, and it is to define you. It is to define you, everything about you. I, I told you before, I, I, I continue to be reminded of my, my, my ex-lover, Rich. When I was going through this rebirth, I would try to assure him that no, God is okay with who I am and who we are. But out of his own mouth, someone who denied Christ, hated Christ, 
kept telling me this God in whom you've given yourself to eventually will take you away. Out of an unbeliever's mouth, he, he saw what was happening. Like you are changing. You're becoming a totally different man. And yet, he was an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever. So when I finally, the day I opened up the door to our bedroom and he was on the floor, he looked up and said, you're leaving. I have to. I belong to him. And I've told you, it's not, it wasn't easy. It doesn't come easy to our flesh. It doesn't come easy to, to, to the rebellion, the rebellious nature. It doesn't come easy for one to come to Christ. It is a decision that is made not lightly. But it's a decision that is made and when made, you realize I am no longer my, myself. I don't belong to myself any longer. I am to die to myself. I'm to pick up his cross and I'm to follow him. Like you understand that everything and everything about you has changed. You understand the fullness of, of, of hope and of love and of joy and of peace that you have received. That you have everything you need, though in that moment you may not feel it, but you have everything you need to live a godly life. And your Christian walk is not based on your feelings. Your Christian walk is based on faith in Christ. That He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. That's what defines your life now. Are you living honoring whom you say you believe in and what He has accomplished? Do you believe? Jesus had to deal with unbelief. Hebrews, no, yeah, Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 13. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin, by what? By sin and harden against God. The church is being instructed. Are you careful? Are you making sure your own hearts? are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God? Are you warning each other daily? Not someday, but every day. Not days that you feel like it, but no days, even when you don't feel like it. And that you're not to be deceived by sin. John 5, verse 37 through 40. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. Jesus' words. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. 
yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. And I wanted us to park on this scripture yet again. People are showing up for church. People will even read the Bible. People will even pray a prayer. People will even post about Jesus. And yet, they don't know Jesus. They have a hope of eternal life. But they don't even know the one who offers eternal life. Because scriptures point to Jesus. And John 1 verse 10 through 13. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Jesus, you all. We are to be reborn. Go to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. I want to walk us through just a couple of scriptures that discuss the cost, the call, and the hope. The cost, the call, and the hope. Go to Luke 14. Verses 25 through 35. The cost of being a disciple. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. This is Jesus' words. He understood what we would have to face. He didn't dumb it down. He didn't strip it down. He didn't deny himself just so that in hopes that we would come to a saving knowledge. No, he held up truth. He saw a lot of people flocking around him. They wanted to partake. He 
He's already exposed the religious for who they are. He's already told them, you search for scriptures, and yet they point to me, and you don't even believe me. He could have said, oh, just, just come around, just hang around me, and you're safe. No. He looked at them. And he said to them, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your life. Your life. Your relationships. Your desires, your wants. Everything. It's going to cost you. We just want people to say a little sinner's prayer. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. And we're leading them to hell. Because they're not discipled in truth. Has your Christian life cost you anything? Because it should be costing you everything. Everything. These are Jesus' words. We're behind enemy lines. I can't keep saying that enough. Go out there and live your faith. Go out there and live your faith in Christ. You will be mocked. You will be called and labeled an extremist. You will be a threat to even places of employment. You will be a threat potentially to our government. You will be a threat to family members who enjoy their way of life. (laughs) And Jesus says, I'm telling you all, it's coming. I'm giving you a heads up. It's going to cost you everything. This isn't a game. This isn't just we gather on Sundays. No, it's going to cost you. Go to Luke, I mean Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26. That was the cost. So let's look at the call. Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you, are, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Think about that, you all. <clears throat> Think about that. Jesus is laying out a clear understanding. You see, now, today, and we've talked about this before, okay, we see the cross, we've seen the passion, we've seen, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, no. Jesus, when he laid this out, these people knew what that cross looked like. It's like Jesus telling us to basically go to the electric chair. It's a a, a horrible death. 
It's a horrible death on the cross. It's a gruesome sight. And Jesus is telling them, listen, deny yourself and pick up your cross. And I'm glad he didn't leave it there. Because he says, follow me. That's what I love about Jesus, you all. Because he's not asking us something that he didn't do already. Like he's saying, this is the way to life. Do not get trapped in the temporalness of this world. This is only but one view. (laughs) Open your eyes. I want to show you the grand view. My kingdom. Do not lose your soul. For the temporalness of this life. For the temporalness of this life. Rather it be relationships. Rather it be possessions. Rather it be your own internal desires. Are your wounds or your unforgiveness to people or your bitterness or anything else? Don't lose your soul. Have you thought about your soul lately? It's not an odd question. Who thinks about their soul? Oh, you should. You should. You should. Like when you give yourself away to the temporalness of this life, ha ha ha, I'm having fun, ha ha, oh, understand. You're not thinking about your soul. <clears throat> because when you give thought to the very essence of life, you start thinking differently. No, what am I doing? Why do I want to do that? Why am I giving myself to this? Why do I desire that so much? Why am I clinging to this with such a strong grip. I don't want to let go, Jesus. I don't want to let go. What are you doing? Feasting off of that which is decaying. Your soul doesn't belong to it. Your soul belongs to God. But if you don't turn to Him, if you don't accept Him, your soul is damned to hell. And it's not because he's a oh mean God, an unloving God. No, he's a just God. He's a just God. I've been reminded this week, because I haven't been feeling well. The issue I'm experiencing this week is the same issue that sent me to the hospital. That my heart stopped. And I flatlined yet again. And I experienced this weird experience. I just remember how peaceful it was, how bright it was. And I remembering the, the chaos that was behind me. I just remember what was before me. And I said, oh God, I don't want to trade my life for the worthless things of this temporal life and miss out on what's set before me. See, as Christians, We have hope. We're secured in Christ. We're rooted in Christ. We ought to be, you all. There should be no doubt of who our allegiance is with. There should be no doubt. Because we considered the cost. We understand the call. And we have the hope. That backs it all up. The hope in Christ you all go to John 3 
John chapter 3. Verse 1 through 21. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you understand that statement? Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, acknowledges. I, I know you're from God. I see the miraculous. I see that his hand is upon you. And do you see how Jesus responded? There's a lot of people who can look at Jesus and say, okay, yeah, he's from God. He was a good man. He was an honorable prophet. He did miracles. I believe that. But they don't believe in him. They believe in the concept. They, they hold a form of truth, but they don't have truth because they're not born again. Jesus said to him, instead of applauding him and going, Oh, Nicodemus, look, your eyes have been opened. Yes, that's me. I'm the one. He turns and he says, I tell you the truth. Truth. Truth and love. Nicodemus, I love you. And I'm not just going to keep you stuck there in untruth. Because truth is, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you that we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. 
But anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. We've read this before, but Oha needed us to see this again. (sighs) And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But the good news, the last verse, but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. It's not a game. It's just not a church service. It's a way of life that we do collectively with each other. We have to honor Christ, honor fellowship with believers, grow and mature as believers, desire and hunger more of Christ and of truth because we've been born again. Have you been born again? question which I keep putting before us because it's getting darker it's getting darker and if you are if you already can't extinguish between light and darkness if you already can't stand for truth and remain in the light because the darkness looks good to you something is wrong with your Christianity and I'm concerned for you because when I read Jesus's words there's no lukewarmness there's no black and white loose and unloose no it's either you're in or you're not it's either you're for him or you're against him it's either you're still the old person or you have been born again of a new of the spirit you're renewed you're a new creation all things all things have been made new. And that's the hope that we have. And so I want to play this one thing for us before I get into the other scriptures of today. And I want you to pay attention to this. at the stake she said this quote every man gives his life for what he believes and every woman gives her life for what she believes sometimes people believe in little or nothing and yet they give their lives to that little or nothing one life is all we have we live it and it's gone but to live without belief is more terrible than dying even more terrible than dying young What do you burn for? What do you burn for? Jim Elliot said the famous words, 
years before his martyrdom. That man is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he prayed as a young man, God, I pray, light these idle sticks of my life and may I burn up for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like yours, Lord Jesus. Nate Saint, along with Jim Elliott and three others, American missionaries were all martyred by the Aka Indians. 1956 in Ecuador. It was only after many years that Steve Saint, Nate's son, Nate was the pilot, who found out all the details of what had happened. The killing of his father and the others. When I just read the account a few weeks back of the details of the martyrdom, it, it was an overwhelming thing to read. It, it was painful, it was tragic. It was tremendously moving. One of the men, the last one, instead of running into the jungle where he could have easily gotten away, he just waded out to the water and in his broken dialect said, why are you killing us? We're not hurting you. And waited there until they came to spirit him to death. And no sooner had they killed the last one. Each one of the different ones began to hear singing. And they looked up and there were these glowing beings in the trees singing and praising God then when they were waiting and hiding waiting for the retaliation nobody came to kill them they began to realize something's different about these people that's why they were so open to the gospel when they came back it's an extraordinary story listen to what Nate Saint wrote years earlier People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget they too are expending their lives and when the bubble has burst they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. Everybody's bubble is going to burst. Every one of us at the end of our lives, it's all gone. Then what? What do we spend our lives for? What do we pour ourselves out for? Where do we give ourselves to? Having a full life is not necessarily a long life. I want at the end of my life to say I fulfill the purposes of God.
died and you made it to heaven, you made it in. And on that final day, you look around and there's that table you've heard all about. And it's time for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And angels are gathering around and they're placing everybody in their proper seats. They say, come here. This is where you're to seat the marriage supper. And you sit down and you don't recognize anybody around you, but they're all former Christians, all on fire, people that got saved sometime in their life when they made it in. And across from you, a little girl, you look at her. You say, hi, what's your name? And she says, Rebecca. You say, Rebecca, where are you from? She says, Rome. And you say, Rebecca, would you talk to me just for a few minutes on how you got here? She said, well, we had a real hard life. My daddy, when I was eight years old, I had to go to this big arena and I watched lions eat my daddy. With my own eyes, I watched lions eat my daddy. They killed him because my daddy loved Jesus. And I've never cried so much in my life as I did that day. Two days later, they came back for me and my brother. And they took us to the same arena where my daddy died. And there was thousands of people cheering. They paraded us into the arena. And there was no one there but just us in that big arena and all the people. And then I looked around and I saw all these doors opening up around the arena. And out of every door came lions. And I've never been so scared in my life. They had told me that if I just deny Jesus, I could live. But I couldn't do that. He was everything to me. He was my reason for living. I died that day. The angels came and ushered me into heaven. And I've been waiting here for the marriage supper. This is so special. And then she says, and how about you? What's your story? Friend, look at me. You better have one. You better have one. You better be able to say something. Did you know that 160,000 people were martyred in 1996 for the cause of Christ? One minister was just killed in Cali, Colombia when we're building a church. Why was he killed? Because cartel members, drug addicts were being saved, dealers were being saved. What did they do? They killed the pastor. He told us to drop him off. But I said, no, just, just leave me here. I can walk. I want you to think of what this means. My life for the gospel. My life. Lord and not just die for him but to live for him that 
can be harder than dying for him. upside down. He felt he was not worthy to die as his Lord had died. Philip died by 
companion while he was dying, he requested that his body be wrapped, not in fine linen, but in papyrus, for he was not worthy that even his body should be treated as the body of Jesus had been treated. Simon the Zealot, tradition says he died on the mission field as a martyr. Thomas, tradition says that he was commissioned to build a palace for the king of India. There he was killed with a spear as a martyr. You guys, you guys inspired me. I want to be able to talk to them. I want to be able to look at them and I want them to look at me and I want them to say, well done, Steve. Heavenly Father, search my heart, examine me even now, but this is my desire, my life for the gospel. Whatever it takes, Lord, make it real that I may live a life that makes sense in the light of eternity. Jesus, my life for you. You see, that's why we just can't play church. Just can't just show up. It is a lifestyle. It's who you are. Because you believe in the one who came that God sent. Jesus you all. He was despised. He was rejected. And he'll continue to be despised and rejected. Because people would rather lust for the things of this world. They don't care for their souls. They're not reborn. They only see with the temporalness of their eyes and the desires that are from within. But a Christian has been born again. A Christian is one who's laid their life down. They've considered the cost. They've heard the call. And they understand the hope that is in Christ. Listen, becoming a Christian isn't a miserable life. Becoming a Christian isn't this life of, oh, nothing's fun. No, it's far from it. 
I've always told people, if you're bored in your Christian life, then you don't know God. God is the creator of all things. His plan is in place from the beginning until he returns and for eternity. He rules, he reigns, he's great, he's good. There's no error found in God. And God so loved us, he understood our condition that he came to rescue us, to redeem us back from the enemy. And so you can get caught up in all the things of this earth and the earthly relationships and you can desire to have all of it. But do you understand that in the end, it means nothing? It was a tactic of the enemy to destroy your soul. As Christians, we have the message of hope, the gospel message to share with everyone, to tell them of the goodness of God. Do you remember Jesus' words? He said that he didn't come to the world to judge it, but to save it. Because the world already stands judged. The world already stands judged. God came to save you. Not because of anything that you could do or have done or will do. No, just because he's God. He created you. He formed you. He knows the numbers of hair on your head. He knew exactly when you would be born. He knew what generation that you would be birthed into. (coughs) And he has been pursuing you ever since you took your first breath and he will continue to pursue you until you take your last but he will not force you to love him he will not force you to it's not a forced command to deny yourself to live for him no no when you see who he is you can't help but lay it all down because nothing compares and in that moment you are born again you have the spirit of God in you You are redeemed. You've given everything you need to live a godly life. To say no. (laughs) To not mock his justice. But understand that if I plant it, it's going to harvest. And if I'm going to plant something that is evil, understand it's going to come back on me. And if I'm living just for myself, I understand that the end of all things is death. And I chose that. But if I choose God, Because I believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God, and that he is risen from the dead. I will live, and I can have life now to the fullness. I can enjoy life in the fruit of my labor. But I also understand that it's going to cost me everything to live for him. Because at some point, somehow, someway, everything's going to shift, and the church is going to be hated. Because it's already hated. But throughout the earth... Not just one half of the earth, but the whole earth. But understand this about the goodness of God and the greatness of our God. It's when the times that the church is persecuted that the church grows. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. It doesn't make sense, but that's how great our God is. It's when the church is pressured, when the church is persecuted, it flourishes. Because of hope, you all. Because of hope. Go to Joshua. We're going to work through these last scriptures. Joshua. Chapter 9, verse 3. 
through chapter 10. Joshua chapter 9 verse 3 is where we're picking up. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they, listen to this, retorted to deception to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patch wineskins. They put on worn-out patch sandals and ragged clothes. And the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel and at Gilgad, they, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land to ask you to make peace treaty with us. And what's important about this is that these were the Gibeonites. They were to be destroyed. They were to be removed from this land. God was turning all this land over to Israel. And these people began to see what was happening, so they devised a scheme and a plan. Let's pretend we're someone else and go in and seek peace with Joshua, with the Israelites. So the Israelites, verse 7, replied to these Hivites, Hivites, whatever they are, how do we know you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. They replied, we are your servants. But who are you, Joshua demanded. Where did you come from? (laughs) They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard, underline that, circle that, Highlighted, we have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all he did in Egypt. We have also heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Shihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan. So our elders and our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now, as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open. And our clothing and sandals are worn out from a very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food. Listen to this line, highlight it, circle it. But they did not consult the Lord. They examined their food, but all of a sudden, they forgot to use wisdom. Should we enter into this relationship, God? They forgot to consult God. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety, and leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days later, after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. The Israelites set out (coughs) at once to investigate and reached their towns in three days. The names of these towns were Gibeon and the rest of them there. (laughs) But the Israelites did not attack the towns, for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty. But the leaders replied, Since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live, for divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. Let them live, so they made made the woodcutters 
and water carriers for the entire community as the Israelites' leaders directed. Joshua called together the Gibeonites and said, Why did you lie to us? Why did you say that you live in a distant land when you have lived right here among us? May you be cursed. From now on, you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. They replied, We did it because we, your servants, listen to this, were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you this entire land and to destroy all the people living in it. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you. This is why we have done this. Now we are at your mercy. Do to us whatever you think is right. So Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them. But that day he made the Gibeonites, the woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord, wherever the Lord will choose to build it. And that is what they do to this day. Deceived. Listen, you can learn a lot just from that little portion of scripture. Consult the Lord. In everything you all. In everything. Just don't take things and take people at face value. Especially as Christians, we must be careful to what we are yoking ourselves to. We must seek God in everything. We must have wisdom. We must use discernment. These people traded their freedom, though. They recognized what they heard about the God of Israel. And they were fearful. And so that by their own means, they deceived. And they became slaves. Deception. Giving into it will always enslave you. Nothing good can come from it. Chapter 10. <clears throat> Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king, just as he had destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all this because Gibeon was, large, was a large town as large as the royal cities and larger than Ai, and the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. The, so King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings, Hoam of Hebron, Param of Jarmuth, Japheta of whatever, and the other king from Eglon. Come and help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them, for they had made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. Then the men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgag. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us. For all the Amorite kings who lived in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including the best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Oh, get excited as you're hearing these scriptures. This is so important. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorites' armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into panic. 
And the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Haran, killing them along, all along the way. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord, I like that, circle this, destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Ascot. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. In this event, I mean, in, <coughs> is this event not recorded in the book of Jashkar? And the sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to the camp at Gilgal. During the battle, the five kings escaped and hid into the cave of Machedah. When Joshua heard that they had been found, he issued this command. Cover the opening of the cave with large rocks and place guards at the entrance to keep the kings inside. The rest of you continue chasing the enemy and cut them down from, from the rear. Don't give them a chance to get back to their towns, for the Lord your God has given you victory over them. So Joshua and the Israelite army continued the slaughter and completely crushed the enemy. They totally wiped out the five armies, except for a tiny remnant that managed to reach their fortified towns. Then the Israelites returned safely to Joshua in the camp of Mechadeth. After that, no one dared to speak even a word against Israel. Then Joshua said, remove the rocks covering the opening of the cave and bring the five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jemeth, Lashness, and Eglon. When they brought them out, Joshua told the commanders of this this army, Come and put your feet on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. Do not miss this. These kings were dragged out. And Joshua told his commanders, Put your foot on their neck. Listen, I told you all before, sometimes reading the Old Testament, sometimes reading these battles, it can seem a bit too much. But listen, this is what was needed. God was moving in this day, in that age. And we recognize now as the church, as the people of God, we're not going out putting our physical feet on someone's physical neck. But we as the church understand that our war is not against flesh and blood. It is against rulers and principalities in the air and the darkness in which we cannot see. And we know that our great king, our great God, was prophesied back in the garden that he would come and crush the head of the serpent. And so we can rejoice this day that the enemy is under the foot of our God. He's defeated. So the hope that we have is a victorious one. And better, we better learn how to wage battle in the spirit realm. We better understand what spiritual war is. 
We better know whom we belong to. Instead of being slaughtered by the enemy. Because we give ourselves to him. We better understand his tactics. How he works. How those who are enslaved to him. How they work. We have to understand how we worked when we were in rebellion. That's why when the Bible says you're to be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. And you better be pleading the blood of Jesus. You better understand the authority you have been given. Because our God has been resurrected. He is alive. He had them come out and he placed those kings' bodies on the ground. And he had his commanders put their feet on their neck. as a witness of victory. <laughs> if you're not excited, go back and read it. Ask the Lord to get you excited. Because this is good news, you all. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged, Joshua told his men. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. Then Joshua killed each of the five kings and impaled them on five sharpened poles where they hung until evening. As the sun was going down, Joshua gave instructions for the bodies of the kings to be taken down from the poles and thrown into the cave where they had been hiding. Then they covered the opening of the cave and piled of large rocks which remains to this very day. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, you all. That same day, Joshua captured and destroyed the town of Mecca. He killed everyone in it, including the king, leaving no survivors. He destroyed them all, and he killed the king of Mecca as he had killed the other king of Jericho. Then Joshua and the Israelites went to Libnah and attacked it. There, too, the Lord gave them the town and its king. He killed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. Then Joshua killed the king of Libnah as he killed the king of Jericho. From Libnah, Joshua had the Israelites went, and the Israelites went to Lachish, and attacked it. Here again the Lord gave them Lachish. Joshua took it on the second day and killed everyone in it, just as he had done in Libna. During the attack of Lachish, King Horam of Gezer arrived with his army to help defend the town, but Joshua, Joshua's men killed him and his army, leaving no survivors. Then Joshua and the Israelite army went on to Eglon and attacked it. They captured it that day and killed everyone in it. He completely destroyed everyone just as he's done in Lachish. From Eglon, Joshua and the Israelite army went up to Hebron and attacked it. They captured the town and killed everyone in it, including its king, leaving no survivors. They did the same thing to all of its surrounding villages. And just as he had done at Eglon, he completely destroyed the entire population. Then Joshua and the Israelites turned back and attacked Debar. He captured the town, its king, and all of its surrounding villages. He completely destroyed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. He did to Deber and its king for just what he had done to Hebron and to Lebna and its king. So Joshua captured the whole region, the kings and, and people of the hill countries of the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes. He completely destroyed everyone in the land, leaving no survivors, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua slaughtered them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from the region around the town of Goshen up to Gibeon. Joshua captured all these kings and their land in a single campaign. For the Lord, the God of Israel, was 
fighting. Oh, underline that, circle that, for his people. Then Joshua and the Israelite army returned to the camp of Gilgal. And like I've said to you before, there would be people who would say, how can you serve a God? How can you say God is a God of love when all of these people have been slaughtered? Thousands of people wiped off the face of the earth. Listen, you can't accuse God that way. Because when you know God and you know his character, God is good and God is just. Those people were evil and wicked. They would have never turned to God. And God knew it. And God is going to display his power, his might, his justice through his people that he chose during that time, the Israelites, to make his name known throughout the earth. And his name was making, was being made known. And God was fighting on behalf of his people. And other nations were taking notice. Who is this God? And real quick, before we move on to Luke chapter 16, a lot of atheists use the verse... Back in chapter 10, verse 13, well, 12 and 13, on the day the Lord gave Israel's victory, um, let the sun stand still over Gibeon, Joshua prayed, and the moon over the valley. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place. See, the atheist would say to you, ha see how ignorant you Christians are? The sun and the moon, they don't move. The earth rotates. So they then will devise a plan to attack your faith. Oh, but don't fall prey to it. Because even us, when we talk of the day, what happens in the morning? The sun rises. What happens in the evening? The sun sets. Is the sun moving? No, it's in place. The earth stood still for that moment as Joshua asked so it's as if the sun did not move nor the moon so just something to think about as you're going through scripture there's going to be scriptures where people come up to you and they will throw that out to you and if you don't have a good response they're going to think they won ha ha you stupid Christians you don't know nothing Oh, but you better know everything, you all. That's why you must be in the Word. You must be able to defend your faith. Don't get sidetracked. Don't be misled. They will come for you. They will try to twist it. You be ready. You be prepared to examine Scripture, to have wisdom and discernment on how to articulate and to speak truth to those who will come and try to challenge you on it. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 17, verse 10. Luke 16, verse, I mean, Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 17, verse 10. Jesus said, oh, Let's pay attention to this. 
This is there was a certain rich man who splendidly who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At the gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham and and the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now here he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want, him, I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone, listen to this, is sent to them from the dead, then, when the, then they will repent for, of sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus' words. Jesus' illustration. Heaven and hell. Comfort, peace, torment. Flames, destruction, continual. Never ending. The rich man had all he wanted. He loved his life. He even knew who Abraham was. And yet, he didn't treasure who God is. The sick man, the poor man, treasured who God is. And was rewarded. And you see the desperation of, of, of the rich man. So there's no hope for me. Then please go back to my family. Let them know. Jesus and Father Abraham says, They have the words, and yet they don't believe. Jesus struck at the core of the religious Pharisees that were in the crowd when he was telling this. Because the Pharisees thought they were right with God. They thought they made it in. Kumbaya, my Lord. We're all together. See, we're better than everyone else. We're close to God. We're highly favored. 
and Jesus is stripping them down. You know nothing. You know nothing. You search for scriptures, but the scriptures point to me, and you don't know me. And so he tells them, you're not even going to believe when I'm raised from the dead. You're not going to believe. As it is today, people would not believe in Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Ah, that's, that's crazy talk. Ah, you Christians are weird and crazy. You talk about your God. Ah, there's no way. They don't believe. But in the end, Jesus gives us an insight to eternity. 17 verse 1. On the day Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke the person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. The apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. And the Lord answered, If you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, May you be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, Come in and eat with me? No, he says, Prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Don't puff yourselves up. Don't make yourself to be something that you're not. Don't you dare put yourself on the same line... As if you're God. You're not. You're just a servant. A humbled servant. Follow his lead. Remember Jesus came. He hasn't asked us of anything that he hasn't already done himself. Serve. Love. Obey. It's important. And I love how he tells his followers. His followers. There's always... You, there will always be temptations to sin. Always. But remember, he makes a route of every temptation. But he says to his followers, do not make other ones stumble. You say, well, what does that mean for me today? If you're calling yourself a Christian, oh, be very, very careful how you're living. Because people are watching you. And Jesus says, listen, if you're living your life claiming my name, but you're not living for me, understand this. It's best that you take a heavy stone, tie it around your neck, and throw yourself in the water and drown. Because when I get my hands on you, you're going to be in serious trouble. See, Jesus takes who he is serious. He takes what he came to do serious. He's not playing games. He's not the kumbaya. Oh, let's all just serve hugs and muffins. 
Everyone's safe. Everyone's okay. Do and live how you want. Trample on my blood. Make it as common and worthless as anything. It's okay. No, that's not what he's saying. Listen, you make someone stumble because you chose to go after what you desire instead of coming after me. Understand this. There's a price to be paid. But where do you hear that taught? Where do you hear that preached? Where do you see that live? Because Christians are just going out, doing whatever, and living however they want. Who cares? They say. It's okay. God's okay with it. But God's not okay with it. We've got to wake up, you all. This is a life to be lived. Not just a religion to hold. But it's a life to be lived according to Christ. And then I love the fact that he says, if, you, if, if, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. If another believer, not the world, the world is going to keep sinning, living however they want. You need to tell them the truth. You need to offer them hope. You need to share the gospel. But you do not demand them to live Christ-like because they don't understand Christ. And that's where the church has gotten it wrong for quite some time now. We go to the world demanding them to live at Christ. We are offering them the kingdom without the king. How are they going to even understand if they don't know Jesus? We're telling them how to live the Christian life, and they don't even know who Christ is. So that's why it looks foolish to them. But to another believer, someone who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, and they are sinning, someone better open up their mouth and say, wait a minute, something is wrong here. And I know what the world, what the church likes to do. Don't judge me. The Bible says, don't judge. You better use that and now how it's meant. Jesus is very clear. Open your mouth and rebuke them. Rebuke them. And then forgive them. Look how important this is. And real quick before we move on to Psalm 83. Real quick. Forgiveness. It's a continual process. So just don't think because it says seven times a day. No, no. Seven in the Bible is complete. It's never ending. So you don't go, Michelle, about the seventh time. No, that's it. <laughs> I've already forgiven you. This is the seventh time. No. Continue. Understand. That's important. How vital forgiveness is. That we just forgive people. Doesn't make what they've done right. But forgiveness releases healing. Through Christ. Through Christ. When you can forgive someone. When you can forgive someone. How beautiful is that? When you can't forgive someone. It's because you're still looking at your old life. Your insecurities. Your wounds. Your hurts. Poor me. Poor me. Listen. We all have a sad story. But tell of his story. Tell of his story. Because I know how much I've been forgiven by God. He could have rejected me. He could have left me in the darkness of, this, of, of life. But when I turn to him, and when I continue to turn to him, when I mess up, he's quick to forgive. 
and we don't take it for granted. See, there's some Christians who played the forgiveness game. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. God will forgive you. Oh, sorry. And God says, oh, your heart's not right. Your heart's not right. You don't take his grace. You don't take his mercy. You don't take his forgiveness for granted. Now you understand the importance of living a life in obedience to God through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because remember, in and of yourself, you can't live this life. You're going to be challenged with things this next week. Live for Christ or don't live for Him. It's your choice. Oh, how I pray that you would choose Christ over whatever's drawing you, whatever's pulling you. See, the church hasn't done a good job in lifting up truth and hope if people want to cling to their life, they have a right to. But those who, who, who recognize these desires, these things in me, what I'm doing, it just doesn't feel right. It's just, I, I feel there's something more. And the church should be there ready to receive them, to tell them the truth. People should see the way you live and say, there's something different about you. What is it? And you tell them about Jesus. Give them the hope that is found only in Jesus. There's no other religion. There's no one else on this earth. No piece of wood, no piece of stone, no unbelief, no atheism, no nothing can compare to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who offers life and life for eternity. Go to Psalm 83, 18 verses. Psalms 83. O God, do not be silent. Do not be deaf. Do not be quiet, O God. Don't you hear the uproar of your enemies? Don't you see your arrogant enemies are rising up? They devise crafty schemes against your people. They conspire against your precious ones. Come, they say, let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of its existence. Yes, this was their unanimous decision. They signed a treaty as allies against you. These, all of these ites, and people from Philistia and Tyre. Assyria has joined them too, and is allied with the descendants of Lot. Do to them as you did to the Midianites, as you did to Sisir and Jabin at the Kishon River. They were destroyed at Endor, and their decaying corpses fertilized the soil. Let their mighty nobles die as Oreb and Zeb did. Let all, the, let all their princes die like Zeba and Zemurana. For they said, let us seize for our own use of these pasture lands of God. Oh my God, scatter them like tumbleweed, like chaff before the wind. As a fire burns a forest, and as a flame sets mountains ablaze, chase them with your fierce storm. Terrify them with your tempest. Utterly disgrace them until they submit to your name, O Lord. Then let them be ashamed and terrified forever. Let them die in disgrace. Then they will learn that you alone are called the Lord, that you alone are the Most High, supreme over all the earth. And oh, how that is our hope for our enemies. 
that they would come to an understanding of who our God is. Chase them down, Lord. They want to wipe, they're trying to wipe your name off the earth. They're coming together in hopes to destroy what belongs to you. Have your way, God. Deal with them justly. Oh, how that's how we should be praying. Oh, how this psalm should inspire us to pray for, for such a damn time as this. We are in a great battle, a spiritual war. And oh, you better be suiting up daily. Oh, you better be preaching yourself happy, encouraging yourself, being among fellowship and the family of Christ, growing and getting rooted in Christ because there's dark days ahead and it's only going to get darker. And if you think I'm just extreme in this, then I pray that God will open up your eyes and that you would see what is happening in this nation and throughout the earth. We are living in times like none other. And you think these times are hard? Oh, no, no, no. It's going to get harder. Especially for the church. So I'm not going to continue, you know, or I would never get to a place where I just preach a kumbaya message for you and make you feel comfortable. No, I am so concerned for what is to come. And if the church isn't prepared, then oh God, have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Careful how you're living. Like I said before, I'll say and remind you again. As scripture tells us, do you understand you care for your soul? Or is the temporalness of life more important to you? Listen, y'all, we got to wake up. We don't have to be afraid. As, as Christians, as a church, we're not to be afraid. Like I told you, the hope that we have and the darkness that is plaguing our society and the darkness to come is the church is still on the earth. We are the hope. Because we have the hope in Christ to share with others. And the enemies of God are collaborating. I, as I said before, as the scripture tells us, the enemy has to play his hand for the end to come. So we better not just settle for the temporalness of life when eternity is right before us. When you see the supernatural warfare taking place right before our eyes. And again, I'm not going to make it about President Trump or Joe Biden. It is about our nation. A nation of hope. And why do you think our nation is being attacked? So much to make it seem like we're the worst people that's ever been on the earth. Has our nation had, has it had issues? Yes. But our nation is the only nation left on the face of this earth, as I said earlier, that people are flocking to. Because they see hope. And once our nation has crumbled and that hope has disappeared, the darkness that is brewing, the darkness that is set forth to come, it's going to fall. But the church better be ready. 
Because God has ordained all of this. God has ordained all of this to reveal himself to creation. Listen, that's exciting. And so if you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, if this isn't exciting for you, then oh my God, I pray that today that you would be moved to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. To receive. Not that you're going to be perfect, not that all of this is going to make sense to you, but if you would just believe and confess that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead, your life would be altered for the best because you would be born again. You will have a hunger for something new instead of feasting off the decay. That's death. Go to Proverbs 13, verse 4. Proverbs 13, verse 4. One nugget of wisdom. This is a good one. Lazy people want much, but get little. (laughs) But those who work hard will prosper. Lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. And isn't it funny (laughs) that we're living in a day and age where our society is making people lazy? You say, well, how do you, how do you know that? What, do you, what points that out to you? Because lazy people think everything's owed to them. Do for me, give me, give me what I haven't worked for. That's the mentality of someone who is lazy. Give to me what I haven't worked for. And so they don't look to God because... God says, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) You want much, but you're lazy. You're not going to get anything. Work hard and you'll prosper. Do what's right and it'll be honored. So what do lazy people then, then, who do they turn to? If they're not turning to God, they turn to government. And governments around the earth understand the concept of creating lazy people. Make them dependent upon us. We will thrive. We will get rich. But we will keep them down. And understand this. I want to open up your eyes to the reality of the spiritual realm. Do we understand that the same government that everyone is applauding and everyone is saying that they want has been in power all this time? And nothing good has come from it. Do you understand every segment of society? LGBTQ. African Americans. Latinos. Asians. You name it. Every segment of society has been held down and oppressed. They've been promised for 40 some odd years. We will take care of you. We will do for you. And look, and look at what they've done. Look at what they've done. And in four years, a man who was not of the government, a man who cares about a nation, has made an impact 
like no other man. Like no other man. And he is severely hated. For what grounds? I dare you to go and even ask yourself, for what lies have you believed? Oh, I know the big one is, oh, I don't like his character. I don't like the way he talks. I don't like the way he speaks. He's so harsh. He's so crass. He's, he's a racist. And I say to myself, if I hung out with those people, do you know the people they surround themselves with? Now, all of a sudden, there's a moral clause in your life. Now, all of a sudden, we're demanding morality. And then people say, but he's a leader. And I say, but you're an individual. <laughs> Just as he is. And in four years, he's done like no other president has done. In four years, the LGBT community has advanced. African-American community has advanced. Latinos have advanced. Asian-Americans have advanced. Women have advanced. Do you know the segment of society in the recent polls of this election that did not increase for this president is white men. And he's racist. Do you understand the lie that is being perpetrated in our nation to bring about the end of this blessed nation? And you say, oh, but you're making it about Trump. No, I'm making it about truth. Because if it wasn't Trump, it would have been someone else. If it wasn't Trump, it would have been someone else. Someone who is passionate about truth and cares for people. He united a group of people that the other side has been clamoring that they're united. And yet they bring division and strife and chaos. And they have aligned themselves. They're not the party like they used to be. Back in the days, okay, yeah. But who they've become and who they've aligned themselves with is with a socialist agenda that destroys faith because it removes God. Oh, I pray that you're praying. I pray that you understand if you are a Christian, this is the hour to pray. And it doesn't matter, like I said earlier, the media can say whatever they want. Biden and his camp can do whatever they want. It's not done until the judges rule. And once the judges rule, it's finished. Whoever it is, we will pray for, we will honor. <laughs> but know this. Game on. The enemy has to play his hand. Either we are going to be extended another four years of grace and of mercy, or we are going to see times turn quicker than any of us could ever imagine. And oh, you better cling to Christ in the days ahead. If you're not clinging to him today, and if you haven't been clinging to him, oh, how I pray that you come to know him. Not just show up for church. Not just say, oh, yes, I've heard of Jesus. Oh, yes, he's a nice guy. Okay. No, no, no. Is he Lord over your life? And if he's not, oh, how I pray that you would come to the saving knowledge and join on that great day that we all gather in his throne room to worship him for eternity. I'm going to close this with this song and then I'll close this in prayer.
God, I thank you for today, Jesus. I thank you for the hope that is found in you and in you alone, God. How great you are. How awesome you are, God. Slow to anger. Full of grace and mercy. You are love. The very essence of love. Thank you, Father, for Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to set us free. And oh, how I pray for each one of us here today, God, that we would know this freedom that is found only in Christ, not in our relationships, not in the temporalness of this life, not in our desires, but only in Christ, this freedom that we have to willingly lay our lives down and to serve you. Such freedom, such joy, such hope. I thank you, Father, that you've done that in my life. And oh, how I pray that you'll do it in others that are hearing your word today. And they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus by believing that you are the Son of God and that you have risen from the dead. And then after making that confession and holding tightly to that belief, knowing that then they are born again, that Father, that they would get baptized and that they would be discipled. That they would understand all of your commands. And now how then shall they live to honor Christ, to be a light in the dark, to engage in warfare, as we go forth advancing your kingdom. And for those who are already in Christ, oh, how I pray there's not active sin in their life, that God, that they have committed themselves to you and that they would expose the fruitless deeds of darkness, that they would throw off the sin that so easily entangles them and that they would receive your forgiveness, that they would get right that they would stand up for Christ and that they would engage in direct combat in the heavenly realms, empowered by the Holy Spirit to advance your kingdom. It's all about your kingdom. It's all about you, Father. So come, Lord, and come quickly, I pray. Thank you for the provision for this day, God. I pray, God, it would nourish us and strengthen our bodies for thy service. For those who are in need today, Father, I pray, oh God, that they would know you as provider, that they would trust in you. So, Father, have your way among us, I pray. Bless your people, Father, I pray. Protect them by your name and keep them in perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, hang back. If not, head down. <laughs>